0: 1 John chapter 3. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll look at verses 1 and 2. These are, these are just wonderful verses. These are comforting verses. Let's look at them here. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, the children of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Well, those are comforting words, aren't they? The title of the message this evening is this, O love of God, let's pray. God, would you help us to... Wrap our hearts and minds around this truth and feel comforted by these truths and, Lord, to be challenged by them as well. Lord, help us to commit to let your love constrain us, to change us, to grow us. Help us, Lord, not to do what's right so we can be better than someone, not to live separated so we can be a Pharisee. Lord, help us to grow and become into your image because you love us. Help us, Lord, to focus in on your love this evening and have a great, deep, profound understanding of it. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. A gentleman who was a professed Christian became very sick. He became troubled because he felt little love in his heart toward God. And as he spoke of this experience with a friend, Here's how his friend answered him. His friend said, he said, When I go home from here, I expect to take my baby on my knee, look into her sweet eyes, listen to her charming prattle, and tired as I am, her presence will rest me. For I love that child with unterrible tenderness. But she, the baby, loves me little. If my heart were breaking, it would not disturb her sleep. If my body were racked with pain, it would not interrupt her play. If I were dead, she would forget me in just a few short days. Besides this, she had never she's never brought me a penny, but has been a constant expense to me. He said, I am not rich, but there is not enough money in the world to buy my baby. How is it? Does she love me or do I love her? Do I withhold my love until I know she loves me? Am I waiting for her to do something worthy of my love before extending it? The practical illustration of love of, God, of the love of God for his children caused the tears to roll down the sick man's face. Oh, I see, he exclaimed. It is not my love to God, but God's love for me that I should be thinking of. And I do love him now as I never have loved him before boy when we take our fail frail attempts at loving God and we measure that up against God's love for us it is overwhelming how much more God loves us than we love him isn't it it is not a lack of God's love in our lives but rather our lack of a realization of how great his love is toward us we fail at times to realize recognize and understand it As we understand God's love fully, one finds it difficult to resist salvation. How is it that you can walk up to the cross and see love personified, truly understand it, and reject it? I have watched many, many people weep as the love of God has been explained to them. I had one young lady who was a lesbian tell me, after I had witnessed to her, she said, if God could love me so, how could I reject that love? Tears running down her cheeks in her living room, she got on her knees and prayed and asked Christ to be her Savior. You know, that's the effect it should have, isn't it? As you understand what the cross is all about, the natural response is to be overwhelmed by that love and to be saved. Once we are saved, His love begins the process of refining us into His image and His likeness. As we become more like Him, we desire to be even closer to Him. This process is a wonderful, wonderful cycle. Here's how the cycle is supposed to work. We grow closer to Jesus, and as a result, we see His love for us more profoundly. Because of His love, we make changes to become more like Jesus, which then causes us to draw closer to Him yet again. And if we allow it, this cycle repeats itself over And over again. When will this cycle be complete? When will we be done growing closer to God because of His love? The day that we behold Him face to face. It's going to be a great day. You know, in the meantime, we get to battle our flesh. And the truth is, the reason why we don't love God as we should is because our flesh prevents us from growing closer to Him. Our flesh distracts us from focusing on that love. My proposition this evening is that God's love can take the vilest offender and can make Him clean at salvation. His love can reclaim the most broken of lives and can make them new. As one songwriter put it, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus is calling. But because of who he is, and because of what he's done, you can start all over again. Have you realized the salvation that comes from Christ's love? Looking around the room. I believe every one of you profess salvation. I sure hope no one in here is playing a game with salvation. If you have not yet received God's free gift of eternal life that was purchased on the cross through His love, I implore you, I beseech you, I beg you, with every fiber of my being, do not play games with God's love. Boy, He loves you and He wants you to be saved. If you are saved, are you growing daily? Daily. Are you becoming more like Jesus daily because of a deeper realization of His love? Who do you look like? Oh, I don't mean do you look like your mom or your dad, your brother, or your sister. I mean spiritually. Who do you look like? Has the love of God so radically transformed you that the world no longer recognizes you? We're going to look this evening at four truths that build one on top of the other. They're like dominoes. And What we'll see is that as one domino falls, it ought to lead to the next domino falling as we have a strong realization of one of these truths, as these truths reach down into our heart and touch us deeply, boy, it ought to lead to the next truth, then touching us deeply. Let's consider these four truths as we look at this topic of the comforting love, the power of God's love. If you received a half sheet on your way in uh, this evening, please fill in the blanks as we go. Uh, I read something someone wrote uh, this week. They said, uh, How to be an encouragement to your pastor? Take notes and write something down uh, that will help you later. And then it said to the pastor, Study your Bible so that they can write something down. And so I've studied, and so I hope you'll jot some things down. That would be an encouragement to me, and I think it would be an encouragement to you. Uh, please do take notes. I really uh, ask you to do that. And you say, Oh, I don't do that. I, this isn't a classroom, it's a church. I understand that, but you want to make sure you get something that you can hang your spiritual hat on and grow thereby. So let me encourage you to do that. Number one, notice his affection. Speaking of, of God, speaking of our Father, his affection. Look back with me at 1 John chapter 3 and look at the beginning of verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. What manner of love. Those words, what manner points to the quality of God's love. There are a handful of times in Scripture where language does not adequately describe what the author is trying to write down. I think of Romans 8, where Paul says we are more than conquerors. If we're more than conquerors, what are we? There is no word. I think of Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Well, Well, how sharp is it? Well, language cannot describe how sharp the Word of God is. 1st John chapter 3 verse 1 or rather first Psalm chapter 8 David says what is man that thou art mindful of him David is at a loss of words to explain how that a powerful omnipotent God could love such a puny finite person a human and then here in 1st John 3 John is trying his best to describe the love of the cross God's love to us And he says, behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Those words, what manner, point to the quality of God's love. What manner? Hey, it's indescribable. It's indescribable. Boy, I'm not a wordsmith. Sometimes I stumble over my words and I, I use filler words as I get stuck and sometimes my words fumble out of my mouth all wrong and the longer I speak publicly hopefully the better I'll get at this thing but can I tell you that if I was a wordsmith and I was oratorically superior to the average man and I could wax eloquent there are no words that could be strung together to describe the quality of God's love for us I could stand up here all day and talk about how Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross on our behalf. And I could do it in a way maybe that would move you to tears. And I know I've heard preaching that's moved me to tears. No doubt you've heard preaching on this topic that's drawn tears to your eyeballs. You've sat and you've thought through what Jesus went through on the on the cross. There is no way to put in words the quality of love that God has given to us. Behold What manner of love. Behold how powerful that love. And not only do we see the quality of God's love, but we see the quantity of it. Look back at verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. The Father hath poured down upon us. How many of you enjoy real, authentic maple syrup? The real deal. My neighbor came over yesterday, and you have to understand, my neighbor is a is a redneck. You didn't know Connecticut had rednecks. My neighbor is a redneck. He has chickens in his backyard. Um, he has bees that he takes care of. He has uh, let's see. He he turned his garage into a butcher shop, and he processes deer uh, uh, for people who bring them to him and turns that into food for people's homes. And my dog went over into his yard one day and brought over a large, bloody deer bone, and sat in the front yard and chewed on that thing. And my wife about had a conniption fit. What is that thing? I'm not touching that animal. Get that out of here. And and the kids thought it's a it's a chicken. He's he's brought a chicken bone home. It was a deer bone. Uh, but my, my neighbor, he, you have to understand, that he, his wife works, he stays home and takes care of the children, and, and then he does this butcher shop thing. He found a maple tree that's 80 years old in our backyard. Right behind uh, where our properties meet, there's a maple tree 80 to 100 years old. He got permission from the, the owner of that property, and he tapped in, and he got maple syrup out of that tree, and he refined it, and he brought me over a cup about that big, and I cannot wait for my wife to make pancakes again. I'm going to pour that thing. They're not getting any. I'm Behold what manner of love. Um, when I think of those words, hath bestowed upon us, I imagine God in heaven taking His love and just pouring it down on us until we are saturated full of God's love. Imagine, if you will, that you've got that... That, that runny maple syrup, and you've got a stack of pancakes and you just keep pouring and pouring. And those spongy pancakes just absorb until they're filled and overflowing and it's running off the plate. My friend, behold what manner of love the Father hath poured down all over us. He hath bestowed upon us. Somebody maybe came in this evening discouraged and down. They feel hurt. Uh, They feel as though they don't have answers for life's problems. And what happens, my friend, is we get focusing on those problems instead of focusing on God's love. And I would just ask you for a few minutes to take your attention off the negativities in your life and focus in on how God, even today, has richly poured His love all over you. Now, some of you here this evening... You got saved because someone dangled you over hell. You were scared to death of going to hell. And you ran uh, to the foot of the cross and you begged Jesus to save you. How many of you would say that... uh, So uh, let me just uh, finish the thought. Some are saved because of fear of hell. Others are saved because they're so overwhelmed. By God's love. And both are a fine way to be saved. Jude uh, 22 and 23 gives us those two methods. Some are saved as of by fire. Others are saved by compassion. How many of you are of the as of by fire camp? You are scared to death. You're going to split hell wide open. How many of you here uh, got saved because God's love so profoundly moved you that you could not resist that love. Hold your hand up and keep them up for a minute, all right? Those of you with your hand up, I want to ask a favor of just a handful of you. Some of you are like, I don't publicly speak, so my hand's going down. Hold them up for a minute. I would like for two to four of you to take a minute to two minutes. Pastor Morales is going to come around with the mic. And I just want you to share, if you could, if you're open to it, uh, I would like for you to share... How it is that you got saved. Real brief, that moment when God's love so overwhelmed you, it brought you to that point of salvation. Do I have a volunteer, someone who would be willing to share that moment where God's love so overwhelmed them that they bowed their head to be saved? Is there one? we got folks pointing at people. You Don't point, you're going to get called on. Anybody? Brother Russo? And if I, we could have a second, we'll get you the mic next. No one wants to be first. Well... Um... Speak right into it so we okay. can
1: get you. I was involved with uh, some crime. And uh, very, uh, I, uh, let's put it this way. The night I got saved, uh, someone did not leave me in the Lord's Prayer, as we such do oftentimes. Um, my cousin was talking to me about the Lord, and suddenly I felt the presence of Jesus. And uh, I was so overwhelmed by that. And I remember saying this, you mean to tell me... That you've been here all the time, and I never knew it. And I remember, at the, for a flash, of times in my life where I'd gotten into deep troubles, and I'd said, "Lord, just please get me out of this." And I promise, I'll do this and that and whatever. The verse that always comes to my mind is, "In Him we live and move and have our being," and God is very close. People oftentimes don't know it, but presence of God—in the presence of God—there's God, joy. I mean, once I saw his, felt this presence, there was just nothing else I ever wanted Amen. that could compare.
0: Amen. Amen. Is there at least one other that would share about how God's love moved you to a point where you you couldn't resist His salvation? His gift of salvation. Anyone else? Will the Bob take a minute or two and explain that to us? Bring us to that point.
2: I remember uh, an Airman Hopper who witnessed to me. uh, I was his superior, but uh, he... When he got through speaking, I said, Look, I was born Catholic, I'm going to stay Catholic, and I'm going to die Catholic. I kind of yelled at him. <laughs> so he kind of got shook up. <laughs> but anyhow, he invited me to come to hear a missionary speak. And uh, that day I went in there, I heard the preacher or the uh, missionary speaking, and I knew it was truly the Word of God. I've been searching about the word, but I never could find the answers that I was looking for. But when this preacher started speaking, uh, peace came over me about the word of God. And I literally froze in the chair. I couldn't move. But it was a, a relief. So I asked if I could come again. So I came to the second service. This time the pastor was there. And I remember what he said about asking And that night, I went to the barracks, and I was upset because I didn't know what religion was the right religion. Here I'm Catholic. I lived with the Jews for uh, seven years, and I've been confused with religion. And so then, I remember what the missionary said. This is 2 o'clock at night. My roommate had shipped out uh, temporarily, and so I was there at 2 o'clock in the morning, and, and I remember the pastor saying, that's all you have to do is ask. And John 3.16 went before my head. I knew it. By heart. And it it just stuck with me. And then I got the peace that came over me that that's all you have to do is ask. And so I asked him that night. Amen. I literally got up out of bed. I danced around the floor. I couldn't wait to go back to Connecticut. I was in New Hampshire then. I I came back to Connecticut to tell my family, although they didn't take it that well. And I got extra... I got excommunicated from the Catholic Church, but anyhow, <laughs> that's how it happened.
0: Amen. Was there one other? Well, Mike, take a minute or two. Tell us about how God's love t- tr- transforms your life.
3: Right, Mike. Uh, many, many years ago, my wife and I went on a marriage encounter weekend, and it's to make uh, good marriages better. That's what they uh, they said. We we're both Catholics at a particular time, and it was hosted by uh, the Catholic Church, and they had other married couples there that gave their testimonies on how God changed their lives. And uh, I sat in uh, one session that was just for men, because they had different sessions for women and, and for men, so I sat on the session for men, and a Catholic priest was... Uh, modern, mo- well, he was a moderator, but he was also uh, teaching, and he uh, gave, uh, opened up, he said, we'll open up a uh, Bible to uh, the book of John, and uh, I didn't have a Bible at that particular time, but he said, open up the Bible to the book of Mark, and I didn't have a Bible, but he said, uh, for those who don't have a Bible, you know, just picture the, the scene in, in your mind, and uh you know, Jesus was was a great crowd, and uh, the Lord was being uh, pressed by the crowd. They, they were pushing further and further toward uh, the water where there was a, a boat there, and, and the Lord had to get into the boat. And uh, so the priest says, you know, uh, picture the scene. You know, what kind of day was it? Was it cloudy? Was it sunny? Uh, picture yourself. In, in, in the crowd are you on a boat with the Lord are you amongst his disciples are you in the crowd are you just a bystander and as he was uh, speaking I was doing my best to meditate on it and I was meditating on it and then all of a sudden uh, it's like a, a light came on inside my head and my my mind said that he's he's real real he's real he's real and something happened to me i knew something came inside and i was you know ignorant of the bible and uh, biblical terms and stuff like that but i i knew in my heart that that from that moment on i was not the same person amen. that i was amen. when i walked in there amen Gradually, as I grew in the Lord and the Bible, my sister named me the first Bible. And my wife, my uh, verse was, uh, any man who's in Christ is a new creature. New creature. Amen.
0: Thank you for sharing about that, Brother Mike. Isn't it great how that God's love reaches down to the vilest of sinners and, and can save us? We see, number one, His affection. Number two, notice our adoption. Look at 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. What What is the result if you follow through on God, on the affection of our Lord, His love? Look here. That we should be called the sons of God. William Dixon lived in a small town in England. He was a widower who had also lost his only son to death. One day he saw that the house of one of his neighbors was on fire. Although the aged owner uh, was rescued, her orphaned grandson was trapped in the home in the blaze. Mr. Dixon climbed an iron pipe on the side of the house and lowered the young boy to safety. His hand that held onto the pipe was badly burned in the process. Shortly after the father, the young boy he had saved, the young boy's grandmother died. The townspeople wondered who would care for the boy. Two volunteers appeared before the town council to try and adopt the young man. One was a father who had lost his son and would like to adopt the orphan as his home. William Dixon was set to speak next But instead of saying anything, when he got up in front of the council, he just held up his scarred hand from that fire. He didn't say a word. He just held up that scarred hand. When the vote was taken, the boy was given to Mr. Dixon. Jesus holds up his nail-scarred hands. And he says, I died to rescue you. I want to adopt you. I want to take you away from being a child of the world to being a child of the King. Now please hear what I'm about to say. Catholic doctrine teaches that everyone is a child of God. Oh no, my friend, that is not true. You are not born in the family of God. You must make a choice to believe in the man who holds up his nail-scarred hands, and say, I believe in Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and He wants to adopt you into His family. You see, His affection, when fully understood, should lead to your adoption. Jesus told Nicodemus, Ye must be born again. John chapter 1 verse 12 tells us that when we believe we become the sons of God. Galatians chapter 4 verses 4 through 6 says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth this son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons and become uh, and because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his sons into your hearts. Crying, Abba, Father. The songwriter said, I'm adopted, hallelujah. I sing a new song. I'm adopted, hallelujah. I finally belong. I've got a brand new family overflowing with love. I'm adopted. I'm a child of the King. His affection, when truly and totally understood, leads to our adoption. Now, to the Christian this evening, those of you here that are already saved, our adoption ought to lead to point number three, our adaptation. Our adaptation. I'm going to beg you this evening not to be one of those Christians that gets saved and then never changes. Oh, my friend, your salvation is not meant to just be fire insurance. Boy, when God saves you, things ought to radically change on the inside. Boy, there ought to be a a change that, uh, that just takes place all across the board. The old song says, the things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch... Like me, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. His grace reached down and lifted me up high. I was on a path headed for hell, and now I am royalty. I don't understand how a God so divine could lower himself to a life such as mine and consider me worth every minute of time to rescue a sinner like me. When I think of my Savior alone on that cross, i know without Him that my life would be lost if He had not been willing to suffer the cost to rescue a sinner like me. To rescue a sinner like me, Lord! To rescue a sinner like me! He abandoned His throne and His kingdom above to rescue... A sinner like me. My mind is so limited that I cannot see the reason He died and arose just for me. So unworthy was I, yet He gave willingly to rescue a sinner like me. He gave His life for you. Now He wants you to live your life for Him. He gave His life for you. Now He wants every fiber of your being. He wants every corner of your heart. He wants every ounce of who you are. He wants you to live for Him. You are now in a new family, and so now you must follow some new house rules. He has called His, cha- he has called his, cha- his children to change everything. Let's look at just a few of these new house rules. Here quickly. Letter A. Notice our companions should change. Our companions should change. There was a sailor who, during World War II, was as rough as they come. He lived a a lifestyle of a reveller. He cussed like a sailor. He drank like a sailor. He lived the party life. One day, this young man while uh, out in uh, fighting in the European, European war front, had a near-death experience that rattled him hard. He made his way to the chaplain, and the chaplain, who was a Christian man, opened his Bible and showed this young sailor how to be saved. He went from being a fierce, uh, re- reveling sailor to being a young man that feared God deeply. The war ended, and as he approached shore back in the U.S., he told the chaplain, he said, my fear is that I'll go back to my old life, my old friends, my old establishments, and I'll fall back into my old lifestyle. Here was the advice the chaplain gave him. He said, tell the first ten people you see that Jesus has saved you and that you are now a follower of His. As soon as he walked off the boat, he walked out into the street. There was a young lady, his high school crush. He graduated high school like many other boys did and signed up for the military and they had been flirtatious with each other. They had liked each other and they had even written back and forth a little bit during the war. He walked off the boat. She was there to meet him and he, he said to her after a few minutes of chatter, he said, I became a Christian while I was at war. I'm now a devout follower of Jesus Christ. Boy, all of a sudden that young lady's body language changed and her interest in him seemed to wane and fall apart. She found her way out of the conversation and out of his life. He got home and hugged his parents and uh, 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 loved on his brothers and sisters and as he was getting settled back into his room and knock came at the door it was one of his high school buddies who he had played on the sports team with and uh, this was a young man who he had drank his first beer with and smoked his first cigarette with and now they were of age and they could do these things legally and his buddy came knocking at the door and said hey it's good to see you. i'm glad you're here hey let's go hit up some bars this evening The young man said, I am a Christian. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, but I cannot go with you. Boy, he shared this again with someone in the grocery store and someone else he met on the sidewalk. He did not need to get to ten people. Word began to spread, and instead of needing to disown his friends, his friends disowned him. You see, the biggest, one of the biggest reasons why people cannot live like a Christian is because they spend time with those who are not Christians. If, the, if the, God's love has so altered you that you've been adopted into His family, you owe it to the Lord to change your friends. Our companions should change. Let her be noticed. Our countenance should change. How does a child of God behave? Is there a difference in the way you respond to life's problems in comparison to the way the lost respond to God's problems? This morning we talked about what to do when you have conflict with your neighbor. And we said that we have been programmed from our youth and by our flesh That when we don't like someone's behavior, what what do we do? We try to heap guilt on them by being mean. Hoping that we can change their behavior. And we said that the goal is never to change anyone's behavior but our own. The goal is to be kind and leave the change up to the Lord. But Christian, when life throws problems at you, how do you respond? When people are unkind, do you retaliate or do you show the love of Christ? When hardships come into your life, do you respond with sorrow, discouragement, depression, or is the joy of Jesus found in your heart? When you're going through a hard time, are you defined by misery or peace? Are you filled with impatience and an intolerable spirit at every turn? Or are you long-suffering? Are you rough around the edges? A bull in a china shop? Or are you filled with God's gentle spirit? Are you kind to others even when they are unkind to you? Do you react in hatred or do you take the time to respond with God's goodness? Are you led by faith or doubt? Are you a person who exhibits meekness? Do you know how to let your moderation or temperance be known unto all men, or do you live a life of great excess? You see, not only should our companions change, and not only should our countenance change, but our compassions should change. As we draw closer to the Savior, as we are pressed into His image, his passions ought to become our passions. You know, there are some things that the Lord is passionate about. One of the things that the Lord is passionate about is the Bible. Passionate about it. He says that He esteems His Word above His own name. He calls His Word precious. He says that not only is his book this book inspired, but it's preserved. Why would God preserve this book so you and I have a love letter from heaven to tell us how to live and how to understand His love, how to be holy and how to do right. Boy, if God is my Father, then His passion should be my passion. If His passion is this book, my passion should be this book. Furthermore, the deeper I fall in love with God, the deeper my love should be for this book. Now, I'm not going to press this on anyone, but you know, I really try hard not to set another book on top of my Bible. I try not to put my Bible on the floor. I try not to leave my Bible in a place where it's going to get sun-worn or warped. It isn't that I worship ink and, and, and leather and, 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 and paper. No, no, no. I want this book to be held and esteemed high in my life. What else is the Lord passionate about? He, he, he values the Bible. He, he values a personal relationship with you. When was the last time, Christian, you spent an hour on your face in prayer? Can I confess something this evening? I sit down to read my Bible, and these goofy cell phones, these goofy televisions, and, and, and the, the camera angle changing every few seconds, my attention span is so short. I try to read my Bible for 10-15 minutes and I find my mind racing here and there and everywhere. I try to shut out the world and the noise and get on my face and pray. And 10 minutes in, I think about this person I need to call or this item I need to do. or And, and, and I find it hard to just block out the world and give the Lord an hour of my time. Any of you there with me? Is He worth an hour of your time? He sacrificed His Son on the cross for you. Just like that dad bouncing that baby on his knee, the baby gives so little love back, God just keeps on loving you regardless of how you respond. Boy, He's worthy of our love. He's worthy of our time. He's worthy of us reading this Bible every day and spending time with Him in prayer. He values the Bible. He values a personal relationship. He values your holiness. Boy, I have been guilty of standing behind this pulpit with the wrong spirit hammering holiness on your heads. You know why it is that you are to be holy? You are to be holy because God loves you. His love ought to purify our hearts. We're going to look at that in greater detail next week when we get into verse 3 and 4. Do you know what else God values? This plays into our missions conference next week. I guess we'll look at verse 3 and 4 in two weeks. God values the souls of mankind. His last command should be our greatest calling. Church, can you look up here at me for a minute? I'm not trying to beat you over the head tonight. I'm trying to preach with a heart of compassion to you. Can I tell you what I see in Christianity? I see ease in Zion. I see comfortable. I see convenient. I see Christians who yawn At the Great Commission. It's okay for someone else to do, but I have no interest. You cannot tell me that you truly understand God's love if you're not willing to share that with a hurting world around you. If you really, really understand how much God loves you, then please don't be selfish and understand that God loves your neighbor your God-defying, God-hating neighbor as much as He loves you. He wants you to be that instrument that shares. When was the last time you gave the gospel to someone not out of obligation, but because you actually cared about them? You see, if, if we're adapting, we're becoming into the image of Jesus Christ, We, we won't be able to help but care for the souls of mankind. It doesn't matter if they're rich or poor. It doesn't matter what their ethnicity is. It doesn't matter what their manners look like. It doesn't matter how well they behave. It does not matter. God loves them and God wants to use us to love on them. Hey, the more I fall in love with Jesus, the more I want... To love the world around me because that's what Jesus does. You see, his affection, if understood properly, leads to our adoption. And our adoption, if understood properly, ought to lead to our adaptation. When will that process complete? When will we be done being made in the image of Jesus Christ? Notice number four his appearance. His appearance. Look down at verse number 2 of 1 John 3. What a beautiful verse. Behold, now are we the sons of God. Hey, that's something we rejoice over. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. To whom are we adapting, assimilating? To whom are we becoming? We are becoming like our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. While the Bible does a great job describing Jesus, the truth is we really don't know what the finished product is until we behold Him face to face. Christian, we will look into the eyes of Jesus one day, And then we will look down at ourselves and we will be amazed at how much we will have instantly changed. Yes, outwardly there will be changes. But more importantly, there will be great change inwardly. We know that there will be no more sin nature. No more sadness or sorrow. No more sickness. No more strife. I can't wait for that day. No more suffering. And to all the children in here that have a bedtime, no more sleeping. But have you stopped and realized that your mind cannot even begin to comprehend how much we will instantly change the moment we see Jesus? We have no idea what we're going to look like. We'll behold Him face to face and our mind cannot even begin to wrap around what we will become. Now, a couple of thoughts about this and I'll wrap it up here. Thought number one. Anticipate His appearance. Hope for it. Look for it. Expect it. Be on edge, that that trumpet could sound at any moment. The dead in Christ rise first. Those of us alive and remain will be called up together uh, with the Lord to meet Him in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Yes, glory, hallelujah, we'll leave it all behind, all the sorrow and struggle. It'll no longer be here. We'll be turned into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. My friend, anticipate it, expect it, be excited about it, be looking for it watch for it but while you watch get to work while you're waiting get to work it's not enough to be like the disciples who are gazing up in the sky waiting for Jesus to come back the angels came down and said hey he's coming back but get to work while you're watching and waiting and my friend there's a great work to do anticipate his appearance thought number two realize that no matter how holy you are you have much, much, much farther to go. No matter how much you've grown in the Lord, uh, no matter how mature you are in the Lord, no matter how well you know your Bible, no matter how rich your prayer life is, no matter how active you are in distributing the Gospel, no matter how deep your compassion is for souls, my friend, you are so far away from being who Jesus wants you to look like one day. We all have a long ways to go. You know who is the hardest on me? Me. I'm really hard on myself. I can make a list, uh, uh, two, three, four pages long of my shortcomings. If you're a mature Christian, you can do the same for yourself. Why don't we take that list and decide tonight, Lord, these things are keeping me from being like you. I don't want to work harder to be like you. I want to work harder to understand your love so that I will be like you. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. We should be called the sons of God. We don't know what we're going to look like at His appearing, but we know this. We're going to behold Him face to face. Let's go back to 1 John 3, 1 and 2. Let's read these verses through together out loud. And we'll have our invitation. Ready? Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Lord, help us this evening to understand this passage or may we be challenged to adapt or may our companions be right may our countenance be right may our compassions be right or put your finger on areas in our heart that are not yielded that have not yet radically been changed by Your love. Lord, help us to realize Your love and to be radically changed by it. In Jesus' name.